Welcome to The Brand Collective, a podcast about our favorite brands, featuring stories from the marketers and creatives behind them. I'm your host, Nick Ross. With me, Mackenzie Koss, marketer extraordinaire. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Brand Collective podcast. Today, we have Tatiana Alexandra, freelance creative producer and photographer who's worked with Nike, Netflix, and Adobe. Welcome, Tatiana. We're so excited to have you on. Thank you. What uh, a lineup of brands that you've connected with, and I'm sure you've worked with uh, countless others. Can you talk to us a little bit about uh, where you got to where you are now, maybe the, the pivotal moments in your career? To be honest, most of my 20s were such like a wild ride of being lost. And I had no idea like where I was supposed to end up, what I wanted um, and so to get kind of from being an exercise science major to now being a creative producer has been like just something that at the time never really made sense. Right. And so in my late twenties, I actually had a friend prompt me with this word lost. Um, it was actually for a creative gathering here in Denver and I was going to potentially speak at it. It was an audition for it. Um, and that ultimately I, I did not speak at the event, but it gave me this like, amazing exercise in what does this mean to me? Right. And so through that reflection, I ultimately like leaned into this as, oh my gosh, this is what makes me curious. This is what makes me kind of play. This is what makes me enjoy, like just what's around me and what comes my way just randomly. Um, and so I like, I dug that, but that was fun. And then during those kind of years of curiosity, I always had some creative play. Like there was something about the creative space that I wanted. I just didn't know what that was. And so I just dabbled. I did like a little bit of modeling um, at an agency in Denver. I picked up a quote unquote real camera and started shooting just for fun. Um, I just started like reading books and looking at graphic design and um, pretty much any avenue of creative. I just was immersed in. And so um to me at this time, like it was all still play. I didn't really know how to make a career out of it. So my next step was actually, I took a corporate sales job at a fortune 500 company. And the sales job itself was like, not what I wanted to do, but the company was actually very creatively driven. And so while I was managing like budgets and schedules and client interactions, I was also able to be a fly on the wall in these photo shoot sets and video sets. And I would watch artists make things on a computer that then turned into ink on paper and then traveled around the world, you know, for brand messaging. So I just got to like see this cool stuff. And I, I wanted to be the kind of person to roll up my sleeves and get dirty as well. Like I wanted to get in this creative world, but I still just wasn't experienced. You know, I just was always interested, but never really an expert. And so I, um, <laughs> I spent a few years at that corporate job and I applied from there to probably 50 or 60 jobs, you know, online. And I got rejected from 50 or 60 jobs. Like I never hit the check boxes for these companies and rightfully so I, I wasn't the right fit, but I wanted to be, you know, um, and then serendipity kind of happened. Like I had been still playing on the side with my interests. You know, Instagram was this great platform to share this personal stuff. 
And the modeling stuff had a little play and someone saw my Instagram and basically invited me to this really amazing photo shoot down in the Bahamas. And they asked for a dual role. They wanted someone that was a photographer and a model because of space limitations. And they were like, you're the girl for the job. And so I went and it was like this turning point for me. Um, and in that same month, I ran into a friend that he's an executive producer here in Denver. And he is also in the video and film space. And he had this opening for a producer role. And I was like, what's a producer role? <laughs> like, what do you do? And as he was explaining it to me, I realized that this role was basically like the sum of all these parts that I had collected over the years between doing sales and being client facing and picking up a camera and understanding how to shoot and working in these different mediums just through play. I was like, oh my gosh, this is perfect. I got that and I went home and quit my corporate job. I just never really looked back. And, you know, since then I've worn so many hats in the producer world to kind of like now lead to this freelance life. It's been so fun, but wild. Yeah, it's such a <laughs> lovely story of sort of oh, figuring it out through the gray space. Um, I find that uh, that's often uh, a creative's, um, a lot of the power comes from being perceptive and being aware of that your direction could change in any minute and you really got to follow uh, both your passions mm -hmm. and the opportunities that you see and experience. But I also think it, it's what makes that word producer so mysterious to so many people. I think that it's often yeah. uh, kind of uh, met with puzzled looks why the producer gets up at the best picture Oscar and not like everybody thinks that a movie is the director and the stars and the, you know, like even the cinematographer is getting some shine now, <laughs> but to be a producer, maybe it, it hits differently where you're like, I, I understand why. Yeah. Really. Can you talk a little bit about your experience in that role and maybe walk us through a day in the life of, of a producer, maybe on some of the projects that you've been been on you kind of hit the nail on the head with with it being this like very diverse job that is almost elusive in some manner um i would say it's both fun and chaotic you know in the same breath there's something that's extremely exciting and also very stressful about what you have to tackle as a producer um and what's interesting is if you belong to like a brand or a studio or an agency sometimes you can kind of fall into somewhat of a a niche you know and get really to be immersed in like one specific thing. Um, and so I actually spent like a good amount of time in post-production and then also in live production. So I've actually had a really interesting balance of the different forms of being a producer, um, which is why partially going freelance was the right thing for me to do. And now my day in the life is so varied because, you know, I could be working on creative strategy with a brand and a, a team. I could be working on a live production where, you know, there's cinematographers and directors and models and a lot of things happening. Um, I, I also work with clients that do immersive and experiential, you know, design. So they're creating these amazing um, interactive displays that are tangible to the, to the consumer, you know, at different events. And the, the content that gets to come to life on that is just remarkable. Um, and then there's the post-production side, right? So there's the editing and the visual effects and audio and how you kind of make something just feel a little bit more amplified. So 
my day in the life is always changing. And I love that about being a producer. Um, I often say that as a producer and in just in the industry, you're always a student and you get to go into each day knowing that like you are learning something new and that's part of your job is to adapt to that. And, and I personally love that. I think it keeps the boredom to a minimum, <laughs> you know? And so if you can kind of harness that, then you do really enjoy your day and working with people and pushing boundaries and allowing there to be freedom to both uh, reach objectives, but also learn in parallel. So, oh, yeah. yeah, I love that. And I love that aspect of film production and media production in general is that you're constantly met with new challenges and new hurdles and new limitations mm -hmm. that you have to sort of find creative pathways through. Do you subscribe to any guiding philosophy or is there any sort of whatever a painter's aesthetic would be to a producer? You know, like. Mm, I, I have to say, hands down, it's my curiosity and being curious. You want to learn how stories develop. You want to learn new things for how to like tell a story. Um, you want to understand psychology methods of how to interact with clients and deal with the battles and fires that come your way every day. Um, there's a certain acknowledgement of how you deal with and work with creatives, you know, and, and how you let them be who they are while also making something. So I think being curious is kind of the foundation to thinking that it's not really one lane that you're staying in. You're kind of, um, there was a book, <laughs> Green Lights, that I'm absolutely in love with, but Matthew McConaughey, he had one line that, you know, said there's 16 lanes and he wants room to swerve. And that's kind of how I view being a producer, giving space to not only myself, but my team to basically move a little bit and, and not stay so, so linear. Yeah. I, I love that. I feel like I get that. It's, um, do you mind sharing, um, a recent experience that you had, uh, that maybe exemplifies this? Oh man, there's so many projects that I've loved that I could probably speak to, but there's one in particular that I worked on um, for a big space mission. And it was something, unfortunately, I can't disclose the client or um, like much detail, but I can give you kind of high level and why it's important to me. It is something that we were given this task to basically help tell the story for you know, a big historical moment for space. We were doing it in a method of 3D, all CG, basically. It was creating the reality of something that hadn't happened yet. And so we got to work together and, and the creative director and I um, basically curated a team to be able to bring this video to life. And it was so cool because we had freedom to pick who we wanted that were that was the right fit for this team. You know, we didn't have to stay in this bubble of like, here are your people, let's make it happen. It's who in the world, like, do you want to use that are the right fit for this creative ask? So we we curated the perfect team. And um, what was really fun about this project was how much collaboration there was with the client. So there's a part of what I was saying before with learning that is really important to a project that we are not space experts. We are not aeronautical engineers or astronauts. And so we need to ask questions around science and, and engineering and, 
everything that goes along with this that needs to make it feel real. And so we were in constant communication and collaboration. And I think that was like this orchestra of like beauty that we were able to work together to make this come to life. And um, it was amazing. I respect the anonymity, but I'm on the edge of my seat. There's only so many space companies that are doing <laughs> yeah. things right now. <laughs> and I feel like our audience is going like, well, it might be this one or that one or this one. Um, but yep. I'll, I'll, I'll keep it. I'll keep it tight lipped. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I want to talk about uh, encouraging and, you know, like helping yeah. creatives feel empowered to be creatives. And I think obviously a lot of your role is gathering and empowering creatives to do their best work. And you're working with creatives that are oftentimes just immensely talented and have the quirks that creatives come with while you're doing a lot of the business side of producing, which involves, you know, budgetings and budgets, deadlines, feasibility. Um, and I think that's a, a beautiful quality that producers have is the ability to work with both creatives, which often takes a certain soft skill set and a hard skill set of being able to make sure things happen on a timeline and within a certain budget. Um, mm -hmm. Can you maybe speak to how your personality fits into that and and maybe um, your experience in that regard? I think this is actually one of the hardest parts of being a producer, but it's also one of the most rewarding. I I used to call myself, or I still call myself, kind of this gray space producer because I live between the creative brain and the business brain. And for years, I actually thought of that as a negative because I thought that I was never going to be like the best at either side. You know, I, I didn't really fit on either side. I was kind of in the middle. And so I realized that that is actually the superpower for this particular part of being a producer is I get to relate to creatives. I understand how vulnerable and sensitive that they are. I understand how to give feedback in a way that um, you know, actually you know, explains it, but also still helps to reach an objective without it being this personal attack of any kind, you know, which, which sometimes can, um, that's how creative, and client feedback can sometimes come off. Yeah, um, artists are sensitive. Think, like, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And there's this, this gentle dance between giving enough time and energy into putting like the pieces together of a project, but also actually reaching objectives and managing that budget, right? And so I think part of it is um, also managing the client expectations that we are at the end of the day, all humans. And it's really important that a client recognizes the why, you know, why are we doing this? Are we reaching this objective appropriately for both sides? You know, are we giving space to, um, you know, give appropriate feedback at the time it's supposed to come? Is it you know, how are we doing this? And that's my job to help manage. And I think when I do that well, it does help that whole flow and balance. Um, you know, you always have clients that go off the rails, but that's also the fun challenge. Like, how do I rein them back in? <laughs> yeah, I often feel that sometimes the the moments you learn the most are the moments where maybe you uh, mm -hmm. overstep or maybe uh, 
are in yeah. the wrong. And I think that those are the moments that can be humbling and actually teach you more about produ producing than when everything goes smoothly and then your client is extremely happy because then you just get like, oh, well, I'm great. Oh, it's never rainbows and butterflies every day, you know, and that's part of the fire drills that become that learning experience that you just have to go through. So for sure. Yeah. One of the more recent and, and very interesting aspects of production is how transparent maybe the lives of uh, sets have become. And I think it's probably through social media and through being more aware of people on productions mm -hmm. um, and how for a long time uh, productions have sort of maintained this standard of, of very inhumane work conditions where often work goes, you know, 12, 14, 16 hours in a day. Uh, people are spent. Um, there's not a huge push towards inclusivity. Um, can you talk about your opinions on this as a producer and, and how you've seen it change or maybe the direction that you uh, are looking to, to make sets that you work on in the future? This is a tricky one because it really is a tackle between client and the production team. And, you know, those to be on the same exact page all the time is very rare. And so I, I actually empathize with brands because they have to adapt so quickly and they're getting thrown stuff at rates that are just like, I don't know how they keep up, you know? And so ultimately the production side gets that trickle effect. But what I, I do notice is that a lot of brands tend to be very um, reactive instead of being proactive. And that's where I feel like if there can be somewhat of this shift that a production crew is brought in a little bit earlier to help manage, like, how do we do this well collectively? How do we kind of all figure out our best strengths and then plan the best way we can? You know, I know that's not always realistic. And so that's kind of my <laughs> hopeful best, you know, goal. But I, I have to say, I think the shift that COVID gave us was production teams and people on crew are setting their own boundaries and they are being their own biggest advocate now. Studios, you know, there is not really a shortage of work. Agencies don't really have a shortage of work and they're not afraid to fire clients, which is, you know, kind of the reality that it, it never used to really be like that. But I think because production crews are setting their own boundaries and quite a few have gone freelance, including myself, um, there is going to be this version of adapting that will take place industry-wide. And I think it's just going to take time. But there's something really special about like everyone having a boundary and then figuring out how we work together to make the best of it, you know? And I, I think the human element is has also come out of COVID that we are treating each other more hum, humane. Like we, as, as people, are understanding that there is a balance to life that we all need and crave. And so um, it's just a matter of more and more people understanding it and leaders allowing that trickle effect to happen. Um, and ultimately, I think being proactive in some planning will, will help with that. I guess I'm, I'm very encouraged by, uh, especially what you said about how COVID and this uh, time of reflection gave us all an ability to go like, what matters to me and what matters to my life and how do I wanna spend it? Um, and some mm -hmm. of these standards, especially the standards around, you know, committing 
12 hours of your day to a project and then having to wake up and do another 12 hours might not be the best use of anyone's time (laughs) Um, because Mm -hmm. mental health is important. And we've seen through tragedies that have happened on sets and, 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 you know, horror stories that you hear from some poorly run productions uh, that there, there's bad examples of what can happen if people aren't treated as people. What advice might you give someone that is wanting to get into the production space? I always say to just try it on. <laughs> it's such a fun industry. And because it's so diverse in how you can get into it, um, it's really one of those industries that's special because you can tackle it on the outside of actually working full time. Like you don't need to give up your full time career to go see if you like it, you know. And right. um, and I never am really the advocate of like, oh, go quit your job and do this because you think you want it. Like really feel if this is going to be something that is right for you to take that leap of faith. Um And so that is the beauty of production that you could probably find someone in the neighborhood that you can help and tackle some role and see if it feels good. Um, There's also so many people that you could talk to on LinkedIn or, um, you know, through YouTube channels that talk about this stuff where there are people that want to mentor and people that want to give their advice. And I think use those resources because you don't really know what you don't know. And until you're kind of on that inside, um, it might be something you think you love. And then you're like, nope, not for me. Or you may be like, I love this. And when do I start? So, yeah, I would say, like, just try it on and see how it feels. I love that. That's so important. I feel like half the battle is just jumping into it and trying to see if it's going to work and if it's going to fit and not being afraid if it's, you know, not your thing. Um, I wanted to dive. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. That's okay. I was just going to add to that, that I think um, sometimes the production life, people feel very like it's only this Hollywood, you know, production life that when they hear film sets and they hear fancy equipment, they immediately kind of think these big feature films. And there is so much more that happens underneath that. And I just, I think like that's the exploration that maybe, and maybe the education part, right. That is important to note, um, that there's just a big world to explore. Yeah. It's vast. So diving a little bit deeper in regards to that. So you're in an industry that's heavily male. So 70 to 80% and you being a female, I'm sure have felt that disproportion in your work at times. Can you talk to us about how you've navigated that through that and earned your seat at the table? It is very male dominated, very. And, you know, that 70, 80% is, you know, a big shift and, and swing. I do think that I sometimes don't even realize it because I have tried to work so hard at my job that I, I don't really like consider it a flaw. I just do think that there is a sense of because it's been this boys club that the girls maybe or women um, maybe don't feel like they're supposed to be there. And that's just not the case. And so I think it goes back to the trying it on and seeing, you know, how it feels and what parts of this production life do you like? Like maybe you don't want to work the lighting and something that 
you just don't have interest in, but maybe there's something else that truly is a passion of yours. And so it's this piece of um, just seeing how much is involved in making a set come to life, a production come to life. And, you know, I think there is room for everybody. What's really nice about the creative field is it is very accepting. It is one of those industries that you can be exactly who you are. And I love that because no one is really shunning anyone away. I, I think for the most part, I have felt so respected by the crews, which you know are mostly male. Um, but I have only probably had a handful of like tough comments <laughs> that you know leaned on that sexist side. But for the majority of my career, it's been really amazing humans. You know, that's that's truly who they are. So they're we're all just humans in this, and we're doing something that we love. And I can only hope that more females that have an interest in it do take that leap of faith into, um, you know, seeing if it might be good. And and I actually think it has steadily increased because of Instagram and social platforms that you basically like we're all almost producing content on the daily. Right. You know, there are amazing TikTokers producing content essentially every single day of their lives. And they're good at it. And so it's this taking the small and applying it to something bigger is a possibility, you know? And if you feel like you're good at something or if it's of interest to you, you can probably copy and paste into something in an industry that then pays even more money. Well, I know TikTok pays. (laughs) (laughs) That depends on some of those TikTokers are doing fine. (laughs) Right? Yeah, yeah. But you know what I mean? There's like an essence you can apply it to. Yeah, there are. I do agree. There are uh, a beautiful amount of possibilities. And I do think that production is one of those, Mm -hmm. like once you enter into the world, if you do the work and you're positive on set and are a joy to work around, I feel like the, the opportunities just keep coming. And I don't know how many kind of more esoteric set roles that, you know, we had a great DIT on this set and then producers call and contact you and they're like, do you know anybody that can do this? And you're like, yes, this girl's amazing. Mm-hmm. Hire her. And then all of a sudden you hear that she was DITing on like King Kong or something. And you're like, wow, this is what a cool world. And that's all possible. That's the thing. You know, that is the reality and the possibility. So do you have any hard lessons that you've learned or even golden nuggets of wisdom that others could benefit from? I I almost think this goes back to where I started in my 20s of the biggest lesson I had was that being lost is not a bad thing. It can actually be your friend and something that allows you to basically only maybe think one step ahead really thoroughly versus being this like, five steps ahead, living in the future of expectation and maybe, you know, possibly not even a reality. And so that has been my biggest lesson by far. And something that now when I look back, I realize how much that meant to my journey, you know, and I, I just think that a lot of people feel like they don't know what their passion is. A lot of people feel lost. You're not alone. And I think just like leaning into that and allowing space to explore and not feel like you have to be on a timeline um, is really 
what leads to you finding that passion. Obviously, there's so much societal pressure to have everything kind of wrapped up in as a young person. Um, and I do <laughs> agree that a lot of times it takes a lot of career moves and a lot of shifts in, in direction and following different passions. And we're complex people. We're not people that are like, I'm passionate about this only. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. And giving yourself that space, I think is totally. such a valuable, uh, uh, like pillow to put underneath you to just be okay, exploring different avenues and knowing that, um, in this modern world, I agree. I don't know that you have to be locked into a specific career path at any point in your youth. Um, because you never know what, you know, I'm a big fan of those lists that are like, look at all these incredible celebrities that started after 40. <laughs> it makes me go mm -hmm. like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? I've always been like, Absolutely. don't show me those lists of 30 under 30. Show me the lists of people that like changed their career after 40. <laughs> yeah. I love that. It's like taking yourself out of the box that people want to put you in almost yeah. and changing it up. I like the 60s too. Yeah. Like my, my mom changed stuff up when she was 60. I was like, this is awesome. So Stand With The Brand is up next. This is about two small companies we probably all know about. And by small, <laughs> I mean very big. Um, so Peloton has been in the news quite a bit, as we all know, the last, I would say, year at least. And recently, SoulCycle started a bold campaign to trade in their Peloton bikes for a bunch of classes. The offer is worth roughly $1,300, and it isn't just an audacious, audacious grab for customers. It's a not-so-subtle reminder of how disillusioned many customers of the once-mighty Peloton Interactive have become. So my question to you, Tatiana, is do you stand with the brand or do you take a seat? I did see that one on Adweek, and I would say I stand down from this one. Yeah. Um, it is. You know, I, I understand why they probably did this. It's not always, you know, bad to do a bold campaign. Um, I think also seeing the graphic on you know, like their display was a really like ill-willed feeling. And I, I don't ever think that's like the take to go. Um, yeah. And ultimately, I don't think they're chasing the right market. Like I know people that go to SoulCycle and also have a Peloton at home, you know, yeah. so like... Yeah, I think I stand down for a couple of reasons, but I would be super curious how it did. <laughs> yeah, I I agree with you on that. I think it's really bold. Um, I am not, I do not, I'm not a biker. <laughs> I just mm -hmm. have to put that out there, but I do appreciate like the classes and Peloton. And I know they've been in the news, you know, for some not quote unquote the best things, but which brand hasn't? Like we've all had our setbacks. We've all had different things happen, but I thought it was a pretty big, like public jab at them. Um, and I know a number of people as well, actually at work here, it's like a Peloton um, competition half the time. And then they also go into different classes and stuff. And I think that's great to have that balance because it's like, if you want to do stuff at home, you can, if you want to go somewhere, you can, but I think it could have been handled completely different because I'm curious, like you said, I like to do like the six month thing where it's like, okay, how did this, how is this going to do six months later? Like where, what did this do for them? How did this affect possibly Peloton? How did this affect SoulCycle? 
Um, I think it's a very interesting tactic, to be honest. What, what do you think, Nick? Yeah, I agree, Tatiana. I think that it's such a mean-spirited campaign. Like it's such a because mm-hmm. I do think a lot of advertising uh, has a lot of maybe um, more conspicuous uh, finger wagging at competition, maybe or maybe there's like a creative way to be like we're better than companies that do this. Uh, yeah, but just to be like, hey, turn in your Peloton bikes and we'll give you thirteen hundred dollars worth of classes. Um, is that because that's kind of what it's saying? Yeah, yeah. That's I mean, exactly yeah. what it's saying. It's I agree. It's super bold. Uh, it it also feels like uh, I want to see the drama between like the two CEOs of these companies or something like. I feel right? Like they just uh, got into some fight on the polo grounds or you know, like I just feel like there's some rich world where they're uh, in direct conflict. But maybe I'm just writing my own screenplay. No, that would be interesting if they're going to go to Twitter, Twitter or something, because we've all seen that before. I feel like where people are like it going feels back like, and forth. Yeah, it feels like Twitter is a more appropriate battleground for yeah. a direct <laughs> yeah. snub, because I feel like often then that's celebrated because yeah. people are like, oh, look at this clever writing of this marketing Twitter of this brand or something. But this is oh, just yeah. a flat out, we're going to produce a whole campaign around you sacrificing this company's product for our company's product, which is like pretty wild. Because isn't there some staggering statistic that some huge percentage of gift certificates or credits never get used? Yep. So it's it's kind of like you're giving them a $1,300 voucher and you wonder if that ever gets used. Maybe they're just sort of hedging on that. Totally. It's such a funny thing though for, I feel like both companies have this mission of like, Let's empower people to be their best selves. And then right. they're like, also, it's okay to backstab. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, literally. <laughs> awesome. Well, we have one more little segment, and we basically ask these three questions to everyone that comes on the show. And it's more about you as a person than you as a, a creative expert. So the first question is, uh, what have you done recently for the very first time? I went to Europe. And I spent a chunk of time there by myself, which I think is like a very empowering feeling. It was the first time traveling out of the country um, alone. And one of those things that aside from it just being like, you know, vacation, it was you open yourself up to a different immersed environment when you are forced to interact with other people and not just who you're traveling with. So I I just looked at the world differently and I met so many amazing people that I actually still am in contact with. And, you know, I just navigated it myself. And I think that was a really fun first time this past year. Wow. Yeah. Talk about stepping into the gray. I feel like anytime you travel alone, you're (laughs) just a lightning rod for experiences and connections and uh, Mm -hmm. curiosity to echo another one of your dominant themes, uh, the curiosity that is awakened when you're in a new place and there's no one there to show you or to tell you what to do. And you're just sort of, you know, that's just what a, what a lovely thing. I've, I've traveled alone a couple of times and I, I feel the same way. It's just incredible. I love what you said about lightning rod, because, um, that is exactly like, that's the words. Those are the words I would use to actually describe how I feel 
when I'm there. Cause I would kind of joke to my parents. I'm like, I can't believe that this happened today. Or I can't believe that this happened today. And it's all things that I'm like mind boggled of how cool they are. And you're exactly right. When you're alone, you do become this like lightning rod and magnet to just amazingness. Yeah. So yeah, it's, cool. it's, it's really extraordinary. Any highlights, any specific places or, or places that you visited that you're like, that was really special. I spent most of my time in Portugal and the whole country is a very special place. And the people there are probably some of the kindest I've ever met in my entire life. And so um, I, I just think really highly of that country as a whole. But um, there was one interesting overlap to my career there. I was I, I had gone to this bus station and I asked the person at the desk um, of the left and the right on the map that I pointed to, you know, which way has fewer people like which is the less touristy spot. And so she goes, oh, definitely this space. And so I went there, I took like a, I got a bus ticket and I went there and ghost town, absolute ghost town. And granted, I went during off season, but like you could not see anybody. And so I was walking up this road and overlooking the ocean and there happened to be this car that pulled up and this, this guy got out and he had a camera and he was looking in the same spot that I was. And it happened to be this incredible feature film, uh, film scout. And <laughs> we talked for a long time and obviously had commonalities just through industry. Um, and I was like, what are the odds that that would happen? You know, literally just the most random but special thing that felt very serendipitous. The next question is, if you right now were invited to a show and tell, what item do you think you would bring and why? I would bring a book that I have that's called Big Magic. And it is by far my favorite book to the point where it's now just in pieces. Like the pages are falling out. They're kind of out of order at this point. It just looks like a hot mess, but also has a lot of character is what I would like to <laughs> rephrase it as. Um, and so I now play like page roulette with it and I'll just like open the book and find some kind of ounce of inspiration for the day or week, whatever it may be. And I, I think it's special to have something that means something to you, but also continues to inspire you through the day and life. I love that. If you were to meet yourself at a younger age, is there a specific piece of advice that you think you would give? I would say to challenge the box that you put yourself in. Mm. That I think we all kind of allow ourselves to be, you know, immersed in some kind of box that then we sometimes stay. I think we allow society to form a box for us. And, and I think instead of challenging like the outsiders, like challenge why like you're in that box. Like why, what do you like about it? What don't you like about it? Why are you in a box? You know? So there, there is something that I would say that I've put myself in that in many boxes over the course of my whole life. And I wish that I challenged it more often at a younger age. It reminds me of that. This is water. The what is water? 
if you've never been outside of yeah. Rome. Yeah. <laughs> Great. This has been lovely. Thank you for taking the time. Uh, is there anything you want to plug or any? Uh, is there a way that our audience can find you or see some of your work or get in touch? If anyone has questions or interest in production, don't hesitate to reach out and um, you know, find me on my website or, or Instagram. Um, I, I love talking to people that are trying to get into the industry or maybe just struggling in it to you know, find their way. Um, so I would love to be a sounding board for anybody that needs it. And of course, if anyone has a need for also advice or questions on the, the brand or um, production side, I'm happy to help there too. So, yeah. Awesome. And tell us the website again. It is TatianaAlexandra.com. TatianaAlexandra.com. Thank you so much. Yes. Uh, we really Thanks, appreciate Tatiana. you taking the time. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. You're listening to a Brand Folder podcast where we like to say strong brands live here. Join us as we build The Brand Collective, a podcast for anyone curious about the people behind the brands that we all love. We're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe. And if you feel inspired, leave us a review. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. Until next time, this has been The Brand Collective.